This episode is supported by Manscaped. Manscaped have kindly agreed to sponsor the podcast from the 1st of January to the 31st of January. Between these dates, you can use our promo code GTM to receive 20% off products and free worldwide shipping. January is a great time to get on these products as they have a massive January sale. If you've not heard of Manscaped before, then add the leading company in male grooming for in and around your family jewels. Manscaped have kindly sent me their Perfect Package 3.0. In this package, you receive their Lawnmower 3.0, which is a trimmer perfectly designed for your nevy regions, so you no longer have to worry about snagging the bag. As a listener of Go In The Match, you get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with our promo code GTM. Head over to www.manscaped.com to grab yourself an absolute bargain. Welcome back to the Go In The Match podcast. Today, I'm joined by Flav of the Fighting Cock channel, a dedicated Spurs fan channel. Flav is a massive Spurs fan and has been producing content for Spurs for many years now. Flav, thanks for giving me your time today, mate, and coming on the podcast. Absolute pleasure, mate. I love talking about Spurs. And do you know what? Because we've been producing podcasts for so long, it's nice to be on the other side where you can just answer <laughs> questions rather than think about how the show should be planned out. So, yeah, I'm really happy to be here, mate. Thank you. Okay, so I want you to take us back to your childhood following Spurs. Where were you born and how did your love for Tottenham begin? Um, I was born in uh, Woodford in East London. Um, my mum and my dad lived in a little flat in a, a council estate over that way. Um, but vast majority of my childhood was in Holloway in North London, which for those that know North London will know that it is a stone's throw from the Arsenal Stadium, high breed before it, but now the Emirates. And um, yeah, so I grew up most of, uh, most of my uh, childhood in fact, all of my childhood and then into into my teens in uh, in in bandit country in in North London in Holloway, uh, which is you know rank a rank Arsenal area. <laughs> is that quite difficult then, of growing up in that area, or was it is it quite mixed between Spurs and Arsenal around there? No, no, no. It's proper. It's proper Arsenal. Like it's Islington, so it's in the borough that the um, the, the the stadium is. Uh, was it rough? I, I mean. Um, it was tough being a Spurs fan in the nineties and sort of, you know, moving towards the two thousands. Yeah. It was, um, we were awful for the vast majority of it. We won the trophy in 91, but I was only 10 at that time. So yeah. it's hard to kind of take that as a, as a great moment because I was so young. Yeah. And the vast majority of it was sort of growing up with Arsenal, you know, um, dominating and, 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 and being much better than Spurs. And, part of the reason why I loathe Arsenal so much I hate them as much as I love Tottenham I hate Arsenal uh, <laughs> is because of all the stick I got I went to a school called Highbury Grove from 92 to 97 which was even closer to the Arsenal Stadium than than that of which I in the house I live yeah. um so yeah it was it was it was rough it was it's, it's hard being the um the 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 lesser football club especially you know, when you're younger, I mean, football means a lot, you know, but the older you get, the more philosophical you can be. Yeah. When you're a kid, it's all about the performances and the yeah. uh, the results. So, yeah, it was really, it, it was uh, it was hard work being a Spurs fan, for sure. <laughs> so can you remember anything from your first match you went to or anything that stands out from your first match day experience? Yeah, my first, my first game ever was um, in 1985, Okay. I was four years old. Uh, it was a League Cup game against Bournemouth. And I, obviously, being so little, I can only tell you what my dad told me about that. Yeah. Sort of that, that game. I remember I remember lights. I remember the lights. 
Um, but my dad took me and we sat in the West End, which, you know, during the 80s, football was rough. It was, it, you know, it wasn't really a place for a four-year-old kid, but my dad didn't necessarily always make the right best decision. <laughs> so um, he took me anyway, and um, I fell asleep within 20 minutes, apparently. And um, he put me in the footwell <laughs> of the uh, of the stand that he was, uh, that we were, we were sitting in. Um, it was a, it was very, uh, you know, it was the West stands where the most privileged fans sit. It's not very noisy. It's older and it costs a lot more money to sit there in the old white lane. So apparently I, I fell asleep there. And uh, I like to think that I fell asleep because I felt at home. I know it's a little bit kind of twee and, and uh, uh, romantic, but it was uh, White Hart Lane was always my, it was always a place I loved to be. And um, the old stadium I'm talking about, it was a place that always, I've created so many memories there and so many friends there and had so many amazing experiences and terrible experiences that it was, it was an incredible place. The stadium grew to be very, old and shoddy by the end of it and it needed to be replaced for that reason for many reasons but um I, I love that old place I really do uh in terms of like my memories getting a bit older in terms of going to football yeah and understanding what's going on I think I remember uh going to watch Spurs play Ipswich um uh, mid the midweek game and we lost 3-1 Ian Marshall scored a brace and I really just thought, well, it's, I mean, this is what being a Spurs fan's about. This is what it's this is what it's like, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, pissing down the rain. And um, you know, that that was my formative years as a, as a Spurs fan and understanding what the club was and yeah. what they were at that point, and and um, and still having magical magical memories of it. And then because I've got older brothers, I started going with them and my dad, and started hanging about with. Uh, my dad's mates and my brother's mates and that's where I really started to to connect to the football club because yeah. it isn't just about what goes on on the pitch it's so much more it's about the connections you have with the people that go there and when you're going with your family and Spurs being such an important thing to you all yeah. um, it was it's yeah it, it was fantastic and also being a lot younger and mixing with older lads it was something that you kind of you cherished you wanted to be like them yeah, 100%. Like every fan from different clubs that I've had on the podcast say the exact same. It's not about sometimes the 90 minutes just gets in the way, and it is yeah. about the whole match day experience. So, obviously, growing up being a Spurs fan and going to the matches, like you said, with your brother and your family, did going to White Hart Lane every other Saturday become just like a ritual in your life? You know, such a massive part of your life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like my brother's. Uh, they've they're half brothers, my older brothers. Yeah. Um, we've got I've got five brothers in total actually in terms of like half brothers and whatnot. But we call each other brothers. There's no there's no separation because we're not fu- fully blood brothers. You know what I mean? We've not got the same mum and dad. But they would live with their mum, and obviously because they were older, I kind of cherished the time we spent together. And going football was about spending time with them and and my dad. And um, and yeah, like like just just the the, the game was important and is always important but the whole thing around football is is the connection it gives to to you all and it makes it so much more special like if you go if you go spurs on your own or any football match on your own and you haven't got a connection with other people mm. then i'd imagine it's a much less experience because you know what we're going to talk about my favorite games later but like when we beat arsenal 5-1 in the league cup to experience that with my family that incredibly joyous an unbelievable experience to share that with someone else who knows that you're feeling that is feeling exactly the same way as you 
is is the most important thing about football. And you can get those feelings regardless of where, where you are in the league or what what division you're in. It doesn't matter. Like it's great following Spurs. We're a great football club. We we, we you know we're lucky as Spurs fans to have such a incredibly good football team to follow and have great players to watch. But it's the, the, the experience is no different from us as it is Marine, who we're, we're playing in the FA Cup shortly. Do you know what I mean? You get moments of glory regardless of how good you are in every season. So, so what does a standard match day look like for yourself now? Obviously, before COVID, I've not, I've not done Spurs away personally. So as an away fan, what could you expect in and around the ground? Different. I mean, I would prefer to talk about the old ground. Yeah. Where, um, where it was, it was in the same way Anfield is, where it's just closed, enclosed by terraced housing. Yeah. Um, and I guess unlike Anfield, it's fully populated. Like as much I don't, I might be getting this wrong, but there's a lot of sort of um, abandoned houses or, or uh, unoccupied houses around Anfield. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Tottenham, it's vibrant and it's it's um it's it's living it's it's uh, it's uh, you know a very busy part of um kind of suburban london yeah um but the way the way it was designed given the fact that it was it's sort of like a grid system around there and the old stadium meant that in order to get into the ground you have to get funneled into very kind of narrow roads and to get into the stadium and go to the turnstile and when when like a big team came, like Liverpool would have been big, but more the rivalry, the teams we had rivalries with, yeah, West Ham, Chelsea, and Arsenal. You know, in terms of you know historically where where that where our main rivalry rivalries came from, yeah, the experience for them getting into the ground was horrendous. Arsenal especially. Um, so they, we used to have um, the Park Lane, which is where a quarter of the stand would be reserved for away supporters and then the rest would be Spurs and so so there was there was a coming together of the two sets of fans who yeah. there's no way for them to get into the stadium other than be pincered into this narrow road um, and while obviously got no time for violence at football violence of any kind the atmosphere was thick yeah. and there was obviously this vitriol between the two sets of fans and they absolutely hated coming to Tottenham and, 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 and it was because of, of the way the stadium was designed and the, the, the local streets were designed. It made them, it's impossible for them to avoid our, um, our, uh, our, our ill feeling towards them. And we made, we made them, we made them know <laughs> they knew when they were coming to Tottenham that it weren't going to be easy for them. I remember once when, um, I was getting, when I lived in London for a while and, um, I was getting a bloke came round who um, uh, he was fixing a boiler or something, and he was an Arsenal fan. And we started talking, and he said he went to White Hart Lane once, and he never went back again. It was that bad. <laughs> and I, I'm not taking pride out of this. It's just this is what you need to expect if you come to Tottenham, yeah. and there is this sort of vitriol between us. Um, and uh, but with the new stadium, it's it's changed a lot. It's um, obviously it's all open plan. There's huge amounts of space. They bought up a lot of the local housing and stuff. So it's a it's a different experience now. But yeah, Tottenham like you, you can't really drink in Tottenham if you're you're an away fan. There's one pub on the other side of Bruce Castle Park, um, which allows away fans in. But other than that, unless you're a home fan, you can't drink around there. You can't. Um, you know, you can't you can't get in anywhere, and you know it's not 
horrible. You know, there is like away fans can walk around in shirts and stuff, and there's no issue. I'm not saying it's like like that, but it there was an element of tribalism with the old stadium, stadium which was um, which was a throwback to the, you know the way football was, and I, I miss it to some degree. It's be- yeah. you know it's better that that football has changed and it, and um, it's safer and everybody can go and you know women and children are more like it's, it's so much more um family, you know safe orientated yeah 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 exactly fan orientated and that's the way it should be everybody should be able to go and watch their football um but uh I feel like the edge has, has has been taken away with the modernization of the game I, f- I feel like a lot of a lot of that with them. Um... People getting new grounds, a lot of that has gone. So maybe West Ham's a good example, possibly yeah. Arsenal as well. Is that is that a sort of fear that you had moving to a new stadium that those sort of like you just spoke about then, the old sort of football times, what you could expect, the more hostility. Mm. Obviously, that would play into your hands being the home, the home side. Yeah. Is that something that you were quite fearful of moving grounds that you wouldn't have that? And yeah, it's great that you know it's more family orientated that more like kids and you know uh parents can go to grounds now and be more safe but that hostility of football and what it probably was more like in the olden days has gone but that's sort of an advantage for yourselves yeah you do you lose that kind of intimidation don't you um when in the uh, champions league season 2010 um that was from when uh, Martin Yole sort of took over to about 2011, so about five year period, Martin Yole through to um, one day Ramos took through to uh, Harry uh, Harry Redknapp. Um, it was so loud. It was it was the atmosphere in there against big teams was so good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you, you, the the game changes and you do lose that aspect. And it was a worry going into the new stadium, um, and it's still a worry that that perhaps it won't pick up in the way. That the old stadium, it, it won't generate the same sort of atmosphere that yeah. the old stadium did, and it will never because it's just so big. Like the stadium's like it's magnificent, it's incredible as a Spurs fan to go in there and go, oh, yeah, this this is ours, it's amazing. Um, but we just haven't had the opportunity to create the memories and the feelings around the place yeah. that the, the decades, you know, the century that the old stadium you know gave us it's going to take time and you remember you know we've we've we haven't completed a full season no. in the new stadium it's been it's been open three years you know we was at Wembley which took a lot out of us going to Wembley was um was horrendous not it was the best option at the time but it weren't fun it didn't feel like it didn't feel like watching your your team we were kind of it was that it, it just took something out of it. Like it made you realise how important the bricks and mortar of your stadium are because they belong to you. They're yours. They're in the area that you that you that your club belong in. And to move a football club takes something away from the soul of uh, of the fan base. And you, you look at Arsenal, and I would say that they don't have a great deal of soul. They never have done because of how their club has moved and been so nomadic through the years. That the reason why they Arsenal fans take defeats as bad as they do is because there's, they haven't got much else. They've just got their football club and the, and the team on the pitch. But the, in terms of their traditions and their histories, it's, a, it's a, you know, the, they don't have the foundation of other football clubs like, like Liverpool and like Tottenham. So it's really important. That aspect's important. And I hope given a few seasons and, and some good performances and, and, and big wins against the rivals that you'll start to, 
to to fall into it more. But really, we've had one win against Arsenal in the stadium with with fans there. Other than that, you know, we've had COVID as well, and uh, so it's it's been hard to settle in. So I'm not going to dismiss the new stadium. It's our home now, and we've got to get used to it. And you know, and it will come, and it is it, it can be loud, but uh, we just really haven't had the chance yet. But yeah, the whole place was fantastic. There was a, there was a game when we played against Inter Milan. We beat them three one in the Champions League. Yeah, and I have never heard something so loud in all my life. It was in, like you, you you know as a a Liverpool fan that like when Anfield's going, it goes and it is incredible. And look, because of we have a similar anthem in ours is Oh when the Spurs and Glory Glory Hallelujah. When that goes, the whole place is it's like it's almost spiritual. Yeah. It's the same with. Um, yeah, with the songs that you sing, you know, you never walk alone, and um, the others you got. I can't remember what it is. The is it fields of is it, yeah, fields of Anfield Road. Yeah, yeah, that I can like other fans hate it. Obviously, they hate it, but they hate it because they're a little bit jealous. I think. <laughs> so yeah, when when it like I miss that. I need to be back in the stadium, and it is deafening because there's no greater place to be on earth when your team is flying on the football pitch and the, and the fans are singing in unison. Yeah, definitely. So touching on away days for yourself now, obviously I can imagine you've done your fair share of the years. Have you got any particular grounds that you've enjoyed going to? Um, so I went when the Bernabeu was probably the best ground I've ever been into. Yeah. Just because I was so shocked at how big it was. I wasn't prepared. And because you're, it's dug down, isn't it? The Bernabeu. So you go in and there's like two, there's like a tier below. Yeah. So you go in, you think the stadium is one thing, but you go in and it's just it's gigantic. And because it was in 2010 when I went there, or 2011, whenever it was our Champions League run, um, that I hadn't been. I, I mean, I'd been away in European Europa League, but not in the Champions League. Yeah. And I just walked in. I was like, "Wow, this is like it felt special." It's Real Madrid, obviously, and they have an, an aura about them. But I walked in and I was like this is incredible yeah uh, up until 10 minutes when Peter Crouch got sent off and uh, we lost 4-0 but everything up to that point was fantastic so the Bernabeu's was amazing Highbury away uh, sorry Highbury Arsenal away um I went there a couple of times when I was little and kind of understanding how important that game was um and a lot of people talk about it but um Fulham you know uh, what? Every single person I've had on, and I'm not just saying this, everyone mentions Fulham. I've had a Wolves fan on, I had a Liverpool fan on the other day. Everyone mm. loves doing Fulham away. What? What? So what's what's the one thing that you'd say that stands out for Fulham away compared to the rest of the grounds? I think um, you get so many tickets. They um, they you, you, obviously they they're not well supported in compared like compared to sort of Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham in you know in terms yeah. of filling the stadium. So you always get that entire one end. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's the section with the neutrals just to the to the right of where the away supporters sit and Spurs fans buy up that as well. I think because it's in London. Um I think because you know that you've got a good chance of getting a result. And um there's the walk. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's talked about this, but oh, the yeah. walk yeah the walk to Craven Cottage is uh, it's lovely. Like, Fulham's a lovely part of the uh, part of town. Everyone just thinks uh, it's like a day out. I think <laughs> it is. Yeah, it feels like that. It feels like a, a, a day out, and because there's so many of you, it doesn't kind of feel like an away game. Do you know what I mean? There's uh, I don't know how many they give. Maybe four or five thousand. Um, 
and uh, yeah, you just take the entire side. I used to feel the same way about Selhurst Park when uh, Wimbledon used to play there. I've been there a couple of times, and because Wimbledon, uh, they they what they had four four or five thousand, they'd take they would have they would have one side, and then as Spurs fans or the away fans, you could buy up the other three sides of the stadium. So okay. to go there and 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 play a Premier League game or whatever it might have been Championship for the first time. Sorry, the um the old Division One when I first went there, but uh yeah, it, it was just special because you're witnessing something that you, that you don't genuinely get to witness because it was such a weird situation there. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that 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 would have been good. But yeah, I, 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 the, you know the one in terms of a special occasion, uh, Bernabeu, but uh, stadiums are just like going to with Selhurst Park and. Uh, and Craven Cottage. So you produce content yourself now through the Fighting Cock channel. How, how mm. did you get into setting that up? And is that something that you've always known you wanted to do? Uh, well, not really. I, I um, I used to, I did journalism at university in 2000, 2003. I quit about halfway through the third year and um, I dropped out and started working for a media charity. And then a I just it was it, there's an, there another big Spurs podcast called um, called the Spurs Show, okay. and it's an older clientele. So they're, they're you know they're they're, aim, they're they're talking to people like you know my dad's age. You know, they'd experienced the same things that that my old man has. Okay. And when I would listen to it, I was just like, this isn't uh, this isn't this doesn't represent represent what, what my what it's like for me and my mates and my brothers to go football. Yeah. And back then, that was the there was two two podcasts, Spurs podcasts. This would have been two thousand ten, two thousand eleven, okay. and there was just nothing else there. So I, um, my little brother is a sound engineer, and um, I had this idea that I could just do something that was more representative to our age group and our our, our fan base, yeah. our section our section of our fan base, and uh, and so I I just came up with the idea of doing this podcast. I thought I'd be alright at it. Um, I had the technical aspect covered through my brother. I had mates that I was going, going, going Spurs with who, you know what, you know, the, the, what's the shame about new media? It's great. You know, it's helped our pocket without, without Twitter and whatnot. You wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to do our podcast really. We wouldn't be able to yeah. find the people and, and um, you know, send the podcast their way. So it's really useful, but it's actually horrible as well. Like the, the, the toxic toxicity in yeah. on twitter is one of the worst things about modern football um but the but what we used to do is if spurs had a bad game you'd go down the bellinaire or the billy nick and you'd talk about it you'd have a chat about it and, and you'd laugh and you'd find a way out of the misery of just losing to whoever you've just lost to and by the time you got home more or less you were over it and what we wanted to do with the podcast was recreate the conversations you were having in the pub with your mate but just would just put a, put, a, put a microphone there really yeah um and because I, because we do that quite well um we get lots of fans from other football clubs that listen to the pod now because it's i think it's just representative of, across the, the fan base that um the, the way we talk about football is the way a lot of people feel uh so it was just a case of doing that and we started and it was popular and it started to grow and grow and grow. Then I got a job because of the podcast in football media for a, for a company called Bull Street, setting up a YouTube channel. And um, I learned a lot about business there. I learned a lot about how to uh, monetize your content and how to talk to brands. And um, 
about two years ago, I jumped ship and stopped this fighting cock's my job now. It's what I do for, uh, that's how I make money. Um, and uh, it, it's just basically because of the popularity of it, really. But I don't think it would be the same if we started now. There's like 50, 60 Spurs podcasts now. <laughs> um, it wouldn't be the same if we started now. I think what we benefited from massively was the crest of the podcast wave. Yeah. As it started to just just like flow and go, it just took us along with it. Um, when people started to become aware of podcasts, um, we were there for them to listen to. And over the years, we've kind of kept them, really. Almost like a gap in the market then. Yeah, without knowing, because yeah. none of us had any real understanding of it. No one really knew what podcasts were other than the, the ones we'd listened to, but we didn't understand the format really. Um, we just went into a pub, found pubs that would let us record in, um, get my mates down and um, and just chat about Spurs. Uh, we didn't even have a running order. We'd just talk about the game at the weekend um, and um, and see what came out. And because we were to be so free and the internet was very different then, um, we were just talking in the way that we would talk to each other. Yeah. We weren't really censoring what we were saying. And I think that resonated with a lot of people. We're more careful now. But um, yeah, back in the day, it was, it was you know, we've said all kinds of things that would definitely get us in, in trouble now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, um, it was just, it was, uh, after a few years, we realised that there was an opportunity there. And, you know, after working at Bull Street and, and understanding how the business works, I realized there was a, there was a way to support myself and, and create football content and uh, not have a boss anymore. It's fantastic. <laughs> so obviously being a Liverpool fan myself, one of the highlights of my time following the Reds is obviously the final in Madrid against yourselves. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get your thoughts on the whole experience from a Spurs fan's perspective of the Champions League final and, and then going after that, the decline of Pochettino's time at Spurs. Um, so that season, that year, so it was 19, 20, 2019, right? Yeah. That year was the one of the worst times for, for Spurs fans. Um, we were very we were we basically saw the wheels falling off of Pochettino's <laughs> regime. Um, yeah. obviously we know how good Pochettino was for us and how Amazing! He changed the complete philosophy at the football club and elevated us to a point where we couldn't even dream about when he was first given the job. But it felt like things were falling apart; that it wasn't working. Uh, you know, as so we're going through that, that period of playing at Wembley and not signing players, and I just feel like that hindered his ability to develop the football club in the way that he wanted to. Yeah. If things were different, he'd probably still be our manager now, but they weren't, and he had to deal with it, and he didn't and he was unable to motivate players in the way that he had done previously. And that's a failing of his because he was our, um, he was his manager. His job is to get the best out of the players. And he wasn't doing that. The team was good enough. You saw the, the players we had, we saw what they'd done previously. So something was wrong. And unfortunately it seemed like that, that Mourinho, sorry, Pochettino was the, the issue there. Um, so going into that season or, or that, that year, we knew there were massive issues. But when it came to the Champions League, after I think we lost our first two games in the group stage and then drew one, we had one point and we needed nine from the remaining three, uh, one of which was Barcelona in, in the new Camp. Yeah. When we got those results that we needed and got out of that group, everything just went right for us in that competition. 
in in the league it was falling apart but in 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 the um in the in the uh, champions league it was like this is uh like for some reason things are going for us so we we um we beat man city in that mental game over two legs we beat them we, you know we lost the first we won won the second no we won the first sorry son scored and then we went to Eastlands and and lost 4-3 but obviously we had that away goal but it was a mental game like VAR and they had a goal disallowed and but we got through then an Ajax being 2-0 down we lost the first leg 1-0 they were amazing Ajax uh, we went to um, their ground and they went 2-0 up and they looked fantastic so we needed three goals in the second half and obviously everyone knows that we got them uh, Lucas Moura scored in the last kick of the game and somehow Tottenham Hotspur were in the final. And all, I think all Spurs fans were guilty of the fact that we we let go of the worries we had about our domestic form and just thought, this is just one game. We've seen what we can do in one game before. But the problem is that, that game was against Liverpool. It, it would have been different, I think, if it was against a team who didn't know us or didn't know us as well as Klopp did and um, Klopp did an, uh, it was a masterclass because he did he nullified everything that we did good going forward obviously it didn't help the fact we conceded a penalty in the 40 seconds or whatever it was <laughs> but he nullified everything we did going forward and everything we you know our, our strongest attributes uh, and then um, and and just just managed the game superbly and we just never looked like being able to get into it and then obviously Origi scored and and the game was done um, I didn't go out there because uh, no one could get tickets. Obviously, I'm sure you were aware of how difficult it was to get tickets for that game. Yeah, of course. So not only could you not get tickets, it was really hard to get to Madrid as well. Uh, my brothers flew to Lisbon and got an eight-hour coach, which was full of Liverpool fans as well. And just the idea of that just was too much. I thought that after the game, it was going to kick off badly. But apparently, which is almost worse in a way, Liverpool fans were really kind of magnanimous in 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 victory, and there was very little kind of goading and a lot of appreciation of the fact that this was tough for Spurs fans to take. Yeah, and the mood, like, the mood was good. Me, me and all my mates went out there. We didn't we didn't get any tickets for the actual match, but we went out there. We travelled from Valencia into Madrid, and I've got you know I've got to say, we've seen Spurs fans in. There was quite a lot of Spurs fans in Valencia actually, but on the day of the game. After the final whistle um, and going on the streets in Madrid, I seen a lot of Spurs fans, and you know, there was so much in the media. And like you, you touching back before about Twitter and being a bit of a poisonous thing, media can be like that where it's making out that you know loads of English fans are out there, two English clubs. There's going to be you know fighting and whatever else. And I, I, I didn't see anything like that. If anything, I seen the complete opposite. And like I said, yeah. we seen loads of Spurs fans, and we were talking to them, and it was almost maybe like us in Kiev the year before, whereas Kiev was a bit of a year too soon for Liverpool getting back in the final where we lost to Real Madrid. Mm. And it was almost like that that was your time. to You know, you boys were obviously there to enjoy it and you enjoying the experience and that's the sort of sense that, that we got there. But no, I think that was something that's probably not been um, credited enough that there was no mm. issues or anything out there and everyone just got along. Yeah, definitely. And, and and obviously the difference between the situations between Spurs and Liverpool is that you were building and this was the end of the road for us. The cycle was done and you saw, um, obviously, Pochettino was never going to be replaced after getting to the Champions League final. And we did buy in Dombele and um, 
I think we bought La Celso as well, actually. Um, so we, we did strengthen. We spent 65 million on and Dombele and uh, La Celso. And, um, and, and, and we thought that potentially Pochettino was getting what he needed in order to, to make us successful. But bedding in two players like that, who, um, you know, uh, you know, it takes time, it takes season, and then took Ndombele a year to get to where he is at now. Yeah. And um, it, it, it did fall apart and we had a horrendous start. We got beat by Manchester, but uh, beat by Bayern Munich 7-2. Uh, I was, I was in the ground that, that night and I was at the end where Bayern Munich scored five goals and they just, everything they touched. I mean, they're a great team, but everything they touched went in. It was fantastic. We couldn't cope with them. But worse than that was the um, the game against Brighton. I mean, I was there also where, where Newcastle beat us 1-0 and we just couldn't break them down. And the Brighton game away, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but we we played them. We got beat 3-0. Uh, Loris dislocated his elbow in three minutes yeah. after we threw the ball into his own net practically. Um, and it just felt like it was done and it was dusted and it was over. And you kind of, it's so hard because you're so, like every podcast we did around that time was, I love, I, every, every every time you criticise Pochettino, you started with, look, I love him. I love him. I don't want this to be happening, but we have to deal with the reality of what we're seeing on the pitch. And that is that he's lost, he's lost it. The, the players are not playing for him or the system that he had, isn't working and you know for a long time he was during that Champions League run part of the reason why we were good is he was playing a black a, a back four and a very narrow diamond yeah and relying on Harry Winks to to sort of kind of play out in the same way that Hoybier does now or Henderson might do uh and um he didn't really have it but things were just sort of okay it was condensed enough to to work but it wasn't it was like a temporary fix uh and then the next season it, yeah it just fell apart and it was done um he, he, he had to go and I don't think there's a single Spurs fan out there that wasn't absolutely gutted that it ended the way it did I, we, we we were talking on the podcast a couple of years before where we'd gone an entire season at home unbeaten um I think the first time any of us have witnessed that in our lifetimes it may may have Apart from 61, I think we did it then when we won the league. Right. I don't think we'd ever seen that before. It was our last season at White Lane. And we said we want Pochettino to stay at the club long enough to destroy his legacy. And which is a stupid thing to say, <laughs> but it's how that's how much we loved him. That's how much we wanted him to be the kind of figurehead at a football club. Mm. But it's easy to say that when you're going unbeaten at home all season. Um, when you're beating Leicester and Hull away from home 6-1, 7-1, it's easy to be kind of, I don't know, um, philosophical about it all. Yeah. Uh, and it's much harder when you're getting pumped, getting not just pumped, humiliated by by Brighton and and obviously spanked by, by Munich. So we had to make that change and, and that's what we did. So obviously you've got Mourinho in charge now. So... You know, you might not be playing the most attractive footy, but you you know you're getting results, and obviously at the time of recording, you, you challenge Liverpool at the top of the table. What what are your overall thoughts on having Mourinho as your manager? I remember talking to a bloke called Rory Jennings and a mate of mine called Craig, Chelsea fans, yeah, and they said you'll hate him, like other fans will hate him. I understand why you hate him as a Chelsea manager. When he's your own manager, 
you fall in love. Yeah. And I've, I have flip-flopped a lot on, on, on him, on Mourinho, because he's had his own challenges. He did inherit a squad that was unmotivated. He's had to get rid of players, sign new players. COVID got in the way. So he's had challenges. But right now, since, since the start of the season... I'm I'm on board massively. Yeah. And while he's not playing, he ain't playing the football that I've grown up watching at Spurs under Martin Yole, under Glenn Hoddle, uh, Harry Redknapp, Pochettino. And then historically, the foundations of the football club were set up on things like push and run and Bill Nick's team. Uh, Arthur Rose push and run side of 51, where we were kind of inventing new ways to play. Um, that That's what, Spurs fans have grown up watching and appreciating and fundamentally losing. Yeah. Um, Spurs are a massive football club with a great history. But if you look at how, how far back do we now have to look at before we can see uh, evidence of the fact that we're a great football club? Yeah. Um, at the 80s, you know, winning the what was the um, UEFA Cup uh, against Feyenoord in, in 84, uh, Cup in 81, uh, Cup in 91. And since the, the FA Cup win in 91, we've won two league trophies, two league cup trophies. We haven't won the league since, you know, was it six, 70? It's 70, 60 years. That, that isn't, for a club our size and of our resources, that's not good enough. You know, the fact that Liverpool hadn't won a trophy in 30 years became a storyline because you hadn't, you hadn't done it until last year. It was 30, right? Yeah, 30, yeah. So, and, and, and the reality is that there was no storyline about Tottenham not winning the league in 60 years because we're not that football club. We're not, we're not uh, Liverpool. We're not, um, we're not, God, I hate to say it, but Arsenal, Man United, yeah. Manchester City in recent years, although they cheat, we know that. But the, <laughs> um, you know, we, we're not we're not that football club and people don't talk about us like, like that. And people, when, when you talk about challenging for the league now, people think, yeah, but you're Tottenham, you won't do it. And they've got a good right to say that because Tottenham always spurs it up as the term goes, right? We, 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 we bottle it. There isn't a better manager under the sun than Jose Mourinho to break that narrative. Yeah. To is, find a... Is it, almost got, is it almost got to that point where... You, you bring a Mourinho in now because you, you know you got to that point. Maybe Daniel Levy's looking at it and saying, "Right, we have to win a trophy now." You know, if it's an FA Cup, uh, Europa League, or whatever it may be, we we have to win a trophy now. And I almost sort of compare Spurs at this current time to maybe an Everton, where mm. they've gone so long of not winning a trophy. You know. For, for maybe man your generation for you, for you being a Spurs fan you probably heard of all the stories of Spurs winning trophies over the years and mm. now you want that moment for yourself very much the same as Everton where they, they were winning things and then they've gone on this massive drought of not winning a trophy and it's almost like you brought Mourinho in now just to get that the monkey off your back if you like yeah I think it's, it's fair to compare Spurs and Everton historically um, when they won the league in 87, didn't they? I think. Um, yeah. And, and they, uh, 87 was a, an incredible side that Spurs had. Um, but yeah, we didn't get there. We, I think, finished third in the end. But yeah, the, the, that, that comparison is, it is fair. I just think over the last 10 years, we've elevated far beyond what Everton are currently. 
yeah. but you know our positions are are um, from, from a fan base perspective are comparable. And it was it is, that's it. I mean, that, in terms about getting Jose Mourinho, it's, it's about getting over the line and getting getting that trophy in the bag. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if the football isn't free flowing. It really doesn't matter now because Jose Mourinho is going to be give be here for if you like like I said earlier, look at the rest of his career. He'll be here for a year, maybe one more after that. Yeah, two years. Yeah, just give him a ch- let him play however he wants to play because you know before the game on Wednesday it was four games four days ago at the time of recording we were top of the league we were top of the league for four weeks on the bounce that's unheard of for, for, for Tottenham we're never consistently challenging it's always well consistently title challengers it's always they could do it they might do it um so just let him do what he's got to do if like he knows more he's he's forgotten more about football than any of the people criticising him have remembered or could remember. So he just let him play however he thinks that might add to the 22 tri- titles he's already got. Yeah. Let him fuck it. Sorry, I don't know if I'm going to swear, but let him do it. Yeah, let him, just let him go. Like, if it doesn't work, two years from now, he'll be gone and we can get another manager who plays different football. But right now, this is what we've got. And, yeah. and, it, and what we have is a fantastic squad with 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 fantastic players who are reacting to the way he wants to manage a football club. Yeah. You know, to that there are two the two most successful managers that exist in the league are one's at Man City and the other one's at Tottenham. And um to it's not about criticizing its style, it's not about anti football. It's about winning now. Yeah. And um and if it fails and we don't win anything then so be it. But just let's see what happens. Like, do you know what I mean? This, let's just see. You know, the title race isn't over, although, like you said, at the time recording, Liverpool have just spanked seven, uh, Palace 7-0. But, you know, we're still in it. And and not just in the in the Premier League. Remember, our, our, we're in the Europa League. Like, winning that would be fantastic for us. Yeah. Winning the FA Cup would be incredible for us. Just the League Cup, just to get, win something, would be enough. And Jose Mourinho, he has that, mentality and the respect to the players to do that to 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 dismiss anything that he's done so far would be unfair we know we're we're um we've got a great goal difference we've got we, we at this uh you know as we speak um we're scoring goals he's got Kane playing in a way that he's never played before in his career he's so productive so good best forward in the world probably at the moment yeah that's down to Jose Mourinho it's down to Jose Mourinho. He's fixed our defence. It's down to him that Serge Aurier is is one of the best right backs in the country at the moment, com- compared to where he was a year ago, where he was a liability. Um, it's down to him that players like Gareth Bale and Reguilon will sign for Spurs, and by Hoybier turned down uh, Bayern Munich and um, uh, Inter Milan and Ajax to come to Tottenham. Yeah, because it, it, Jose Mourinho has gra- gravitas. So it, just because he's playing a pragmatic style of football, and 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 you know, this is a style of football that does still create match-winning chances. You know, against Liverpool, while you would most most people that watch the game would argue that Liverpool were a better team because they were more attacking and they pushed the game. If you look at the chances created, Spurs yeah. had the better ones, so we could have won that game. And the narrative being completely different, but what's frustrating at the moment for Spurs fans is that people like Oli Holt, uh, uh, you know, they were he, 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 who seems to have an agenda against Tottenham. Um, <laughs> he. Uh, 
you know, he's digging out the style and he's digging out what, what Mourinho does. You know, you lose one game of football and the critics are out and the, 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 the knives are out to get you. And it'd be great if everyone in football was a little bit more sort of stood back and just waited to see what happened because there's a lot of football to play. And, you know, if we finish in the top four when no one thought we would um, when the season started, then that's a good, a good, a good season for Spurs. Yeah, progress. Okay. So finally, the podcast is centered around going the match. So of every podcast we're doing, I want to end by asking what are your top three favorite matches you've ever been to or seen? Uh, number one, uh, hands down, would be um, Tottenham Hotspur versus Arsenal in the League Cup in 2008. This is a time where we, you know, Arsenal were the much better, you know, better side. They're they're really good players. Yeah. Um, they're you know four years out of being the Invincibles. That they never shut up about. Uh, <laughs> and um, we were on a bit of a resurgence. So y- Yak Santini came in for nine games and Martin Yol came in as, as his assistant. Uh, he was, he, I don't know what actually happened with that. It was weird. He just disappeared and and um, just didn't turn up one day. <laughs> went back to France and Martin Yol took over and it felt like that, that, that was actually the, the, the change from Tottenham being what they were previously, which was pretty poor and average to, to, to the start of the road to what, what we've become today. Yeah. Uh, anyway, 2008 comes around. Um, Martin Yol is had, had been at that point fired um, just a few games before. And we had Arsenal in, in the semi-final at the time. Tottenham and Arsenal was a horrendous experience. It was just one in ones you walked into. And I don't even know if you've had this as a Liverpool fan ever, I guess the feeling of of I don't know if you you have the feeling of foreboding if you've ever had that as a Liverpool fan, but the feeling you're going into the game and thinking we're not going to get this and it's going to be horrendous. Yeah, uh, that was the feeling I had going into that game, and I remember playing um, music on my headphones when I was going to the game, and it was uh, I can't remember the name of the Smith song, but uh, it's just. Uh, uh, Lord, let me get what I want this time, right? Just, <laughs> yeah. just let let this happen. Just let it happen. Anyway, we went into the ground. We, we'd we'd drawn the first game one all. We'd been leading for eighty nine minutes at um, the Emirates, and Theo Walcott scored on like eighty one to draw it, and so it meant going into the the second leg at White Hart Lane with an away goal. But that literally one one away goal meant nothing even scoring early in a game against Arsenal back then meant nothing. You know, you know that they're going to score, they're going to have untold opportunities. Yeah. So two minutes into the game, Jenis picks the ball up, is surrounded by four or five Arsenal players and he hits his shot, comes off the post into the net. Everyone goes crazy, but we know that that's still not enough. That's, that's an away goal, but we're two, one up on, on, on aggregate. Yeah. Um, the game goes on. And we get a free kick on about 25 minutes. And at, remember I mentioned earlier about how loud White Hart Lane could be. Yeah. We were singing, oh, when the Spurs and everybody was just up off their chairs. Their arms were al- aloft in the air and Jenis whipped this ball in and it went to uh, Dawson, Michael Dawson, who leapt and the, the singing stopped because you, as football fans, you know when a good chance is coming, even if it's, you know, if you didn't follow football, you wouldn't think nothing of this cross, but you thought, oh, hold on, there's something happening there. Yeah. Bentner actually got his head on it and it flew into the net. The place went crazy, right? We got to half time. It was 2 0 Spurs, 3 uh, 1 on aggregate. 
And then you're thinking, all right, can we hold on here? We start the game, Robbie, Robbie Keane scores a third. And then you're starting to think, right, well, we really do have a chance, but if we're going to fuck this up, this is going to be so bad. And we, we could easily fuck this up. We score a fourth through Aaron Lennon. And there is maybe 17 minutes to go. I was in the stand working out how many minute, how many goals per, uh, how many minutes per goal they needed to produce in order to get this back. And it was like, at the time, maybe every three minutes they had to score a goal. And I was starting to think, you know, oh, well, that's all right. That's all right. They oh. score. Uh, Adi Bayor scores an absolute scream, a brilliant goal. And I'm like, please, please. We break away because they're pushing. Mal Brunk on like 88 minutes scores to beat them 5-1, to beat Arsenal 5-1. It's something that they never did to us, even throughout all of their dominance. They never beat us some, a score like that. Yeah. And just the jubilation whatever problem you had in the world disappeared if you were a Spurs fan in that stadium that night that was fantastic I won't go into as much detail on the other two because <laughs> that that's the one that's the game and uh, I, I, I don't think I've ever been able to create or, or um, find that feeling ever again at football that was the, the peak moment um, second one would be at Wembley funny enough because I mentioned that Wembley was a bad place for Spurs Yeah, but we played, uh, we were in the Champions League and we had Real Madrid in the group stages. I think we needed a draw to get through and we beat them 3-1. We beat Real Madrid 3-1 and this is a Real Madrid with Ronaldo. That they were, they were in their pomp then. It wasn't like what they're out, that they've been like in the last couple of seasons where they're struggling. They were in their pomp and Spurs were great. It's 2017, I think it was. Spurs are fantastic. And um, I remember watching it. We went 2-0 two, two up. And you're thinking, all right, again, same sort of Spurs mentality is that we could fuck this up at any time. <laughs> uh, Kane put a ball into Ericsson. Ericsson went through and started parts to 3-0. And I, I could not believe, because we we're still on the crest of the, the, the Pochettino at his height. I could not believe this that I was witnessing us beat Real Madrid so convincingly that I tears started rolling down my face. And it weren't like I, I felt in, in in any way that I was going to be upset or cry, but these tears of joy were literally, I was stat. I wasn't, you know, when you score a great goal, everyone goes mental, limsy, your arms are flying all over the place. Yeah. I was standing still with my arms in the air at a stadium that I didn't even like, but my team had delivered me something that I would never forget. And just, just honestly, two like tears falling down my face, turning around to my brothers that, that were there and my old man, and we just hugged, and it was it was fantastic. That that was it's crazy. That was, it's crazy that what the Champions League competition will bring to playing domestic football, isn't it? The different emotions you get. I, I always personally, every Champions League game I go to, I just feel more more up for it and more hyped for it than I would do a domestic one. And obviously, you know, like, like a derby or Manchester United or whatever, that's obviously a different feeling. But there's mm. something about playing when the big boys in Europe come to your place and, you, like you say, you get a result there. You, you can't beat those nights, can you? No, I think it's because, obviously, you've got all of... You understand what teams like Real Madrid or Barcelona or Bayern Munich are, right? Yeah. And you understand how that because we don't play them every season... They're almost immortalized. Like they've, they're better than you before they turn up because of the way people perceive these clubs to be. Yeah. 
forgetting the fact that actually it's just 11 men versus 11 men. <laughs> now, Bill Nick said uh, when we were playing Real Madrid in 1963, um, I think we went on, no, actually, I'm not going to say because I can't remember exactly how it worked out, but Bill Nick, we were playing Real Madrid and Bill Nick went into the, um, into the players at the, ch- uh, the dressing room and went, Jesus, that's uh, it's Real Madrid in there, isn't it? Real Madrid, wow. Imagine us playing Real Madrid and then walked out and didn't say anything else. Obviously, this sort of reverse psychology was a genius at doing this and motivating players. Yeah. Uh, but, but they carried that through. They carried that through the decades and they, they remain that. And it's because of that that when you get to play them, it's so rare you do get to play them, that it is all the more special. That moment's all the more special. And it's almost incredible when you somehow pull it out of the bag and you beat them as we did on that night. Third, I'm going to say... I'm going to say Slavia Prague away. Okay. The first in 2006, it was our first European journey, uh, European tour. Well, we had two between 91 and 2001, where we got into the we got into the uh, competition through cup wins. But in 2001, I was too young to travel. In 2006, was the first season I'd I'd ever was you know I was old enough and and, and could afford to go and watch Spurs play and um, we went to Slavia Prague and I went to Prague and we played Slavia Prague and it was it was like a carnival of Tottenham it was so it was just fantastic like no uh, it it was it wasn't like football fans going away it wasn't like an away tire that other people experienced this was Tottenham away and I was a part of it and we got there, uh, you know, dropped our bags off, went down to the square where most football fans meet because we we don't know how to get together unless it's a big square in a Euro- <laughs> European city. Uh, but we went to that square and there's still footage on YouTube. Obviously, phones weren't great back then, but there's still footage that exists on YouTube that um, to show how sort of jubilant and how how carnival it was and how like, fantastic the atmosphere was. It was just it was amazing because it was, it was about at the time it was about me sort of growing up. Uh, it was about being, you know, being able to, to follow Spurs as an adult and not just with my old man. Yeah. I went there. He didn't even go actually. So it was like with my brothers and, and a couple of mates and the feeling was fantastic. It was beautiful weather. Um, obviously Prague's an amazing place and it was just the best three days. It was so good. We, we won. And uh, and just to add to all of that, Paul Robinson was our goalkeeper at the time, and we were in the ground when he was warming up. And it was there's a there was a massive running track around the around the pitch, yeah. And uh, we were singing, uh, "Robo, give us a song, Robo, Robo, give us a song." And usually they turn around and go, "Tottenham, Tottenham," or, or something like that. He just said, "Stand up." If you hate Arsenal, when everyone's like <laughs> "fucking hell, yes," <laughs> it was, it was, it was fantastic. It was, it weren't like a standout result in Tottenham's history, but personally, yeah, it was. It was not just. It was just the best three days. It was f- so good. Tottenham yeah. were back in Europe. Everyone's like buzzing. There was old boys there, younguns, and it was just. It was just fantastic. It was great. Creating those sort of memories of your mates. That's what it's all about, really, isn't it? 
Oh, absolutely, mate. Yeah, like I said, let's start the podcast. The football is the football. Um, it's the the thing that binds us. But what makes football special is the relationship that fans have with each other. Hundred percent. That's a fantastic way to finish there, mate. So just before you go, just a massive thank you for coming on and giving up your time. I really appreciate it. Mate, I've really enjoyed doing it. Uh, we don't, I don't get to talk like, talk like this uh, very often. And uh, yes, I really appreciate you asking. Thanks, mate. Brilliant. If you enjoyed that episode and want to keep notified for future episodes, please make sure you subscribe, follow and share. And of course, leave us a five-star rating. You can now follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, all at Go In The Match to keep updated for future episodes and updates on the podcast.